All right, welcome back to the Luke Humphrey Running Podcast. This is Luke Humphrey talking. Uh, I am recording this on April Fool's Day, which uh, uh, unfortunately I do not have any good April Fool's jokes for you. I'm not that uh, kind of guy, but uh, uh, I am here to talk about long runs today. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk a little bit, uh, or just let you know really, I guess, that uh, we're having the uh, Boston Marathon meetup. We do it uh, Sunday morning. 8 a.m. We go for a little shakeout run, 30-minute shakeout run, and then um, we uh, just come back, take our group pictures, uh, do a little bit of chatting, I'll answer some some questions if we have any, and uh, just kind of go over some last-minute last-minute stuff because by then we'll know a little bit more about weather and things like that, and just kind of how the day might go for you. But uh, so I just want to meet, let you know about that. Uh, we meet 8 a.m. Sunday morning. And we meet in front of the uh, Lint Chocolate on Boylston Street. It's just like uh, two blocks up from uh, the finish line. It's just a little bit less congested there so we can meet up there. Because if you've been to Boston before and that finish line area is just really chaotic on Sunday morning. Uh, um, but so, so we'll meet up from there a little bit at the Lint Chocolate. Um, do our run, do our little talk, and then get some group pictures. And then uh, if you guys want to go down to your finish line stuff before or after, it's all good. But it is a, a nice opportunity to get meet some of you guys, and uh, if if I don't get a chance to see you, uh, good luck to everybody running Boston, and uh, hopefully you get a little bit weather that a little bit better weather this year. So, um, so just want to talk about that real quick, and then today I really want to go into long runs, and I want to do a couple a uh, couple of these on long runs, and go from really the basic to the more specific. Um, and I was, I was looking back at some blog posts I've done, and it was more like four or five years ago now. Um, and so I, I've talked about it a little bit. And then if you go into the book, if you've read the books, uh, we go very in depth in why we do the 16 milers for those schedules. Um, we talk about the time factor, the distance factor, the percentage factor, all of those, all of those things. So I'm not going to revisit those here and I'll link to, um, those and then of course uh, if you don't have the book you should uh, you should invest the bo- into the book and uh, and then you'll have that discussion there and and um, I think this is more of a, a supplement to that to that uh, discussion in the book but uh, um, so I, at first I was just going to do one post but then I started writing a lot of stuff out and I'm like man this is a this is a lot of stuff so uh, I'm going to break it up and I'm going to really just talk about uh, a few of the few of the more basic ones today. So um, I guess that's kind of a warning if you're, if you're very familiar with the system, but I also invite you to, to listen to it because I really talk about some stuff that we don't necessarily go into. And I think it's important for um, really everybody to recognize the differences and where these differences fit into your training and, and those types of things. So um, it might be a little bit of review for, for some of you, but I think there's still some really good stuff to take, to take from this, even if you are pretty experienced. So, so with that, let's just jump right into the, uh, the first section of the, of the marathon long run. And, uh, and I have a titled marathon long run, but it really can be, uh, it really could be any long run, uh, I think for, uh, for anybody training for really any type of distance. So, uh, so in essence, the long run, the marathon long run should be, should be simple, right? Uh, just go out, run a long ways because our race is going to be over 26 miles. So in its simplest form, yes, that's all, about all there is to it. However, the marathon is a simple event on the outside, but when factoring all the things that make a successful one possible, there we see there's a lot more to it. So we consider things like fueling, central fatigue, 
pace, effort, goal of race, goal of the run, on and on and on we can go with, with uh, different factors there. And so for a lot of years, even even today, runners, were they're all about the 20 plus, plus milers, right? And so um, how many can we fit into our training plan? All those types of things. And that's, and that's fine for the most part, but what else are we doing for the rest of the week? And I've talked about that a lot of times, so I don't really want to uh, as my old track coach would say, belager the point here, but uh, um, but that matters too. And so I know we discussed it before, so I'm not going to keep at it. But the truth is, what we tend to do is car- car- compartmentalize, get that out there, uh, and our training. Everything is in its own little bubble, and nothing else affects anything outside those bubbles. So whatever is in each little bubble in our lives, we tend to keep in those bubbles. And the, and the reality is. Um, it's all lumped together. It's runny, it's intertwining, uh, whatever you want to say. But those things all intermingle with each other, and they all affect each other. And we have to we have to recognize that. And I think that so many times we we don't recognize that fact. Um, so I want to explore some of the different variations of the long run, where they would fit, and who should who should really consider these. So, um, you know, and first I want to touch on why the Hanson Marathon Methods books have worked so so well for so many people. And I'm not going to dive into it again, but if you want a full discussion, like I said, consider the book. Um, in a nutshell discussion, I have another blog post that really kind of st- started the discussion for the book. But for most people, the mileage they are running, 16 miles, works really well. So in essence, it's not about 16 miles. It's not about 20 miles. It's not 22 miles. It's about what fits where the person is at and what they're doing for for their training. You know, for in our in those schedules, um, 16 miles comes out to about 25 to 30 percent of the weekly mileage, and it takes anywhere from an hour 45 to three hours, depending on your ability. Uh, so that's a good middle ground, right? That's a good common point to be at. Now, going beyond that, outside of the long run bubble, it fits extremely well because if you're doing a marathon tempo on Thursday, easy day on Friday a longer, a little bit longer on Saturday, and then you finish the week with a long run on Sunday. So you're doing a lot going into this long run. That's where the cumulative fatigue part sets in, right? And so, you know, obviously we've talked about that a lot too. Um, but then not only that, you're coming back and you're running easy on Monday and you're doing a more intense workout on Tuesday if you're following the, the book plans. And so you, you don't have a lot of downtime before or after the long run. And so that's where... You know, we'll talk about mega long runs in one of the other sections, but when you start getting into that territory of doing a really long, long run, then it starts affecting everything around that. And it's kind of going into that bubbles that I was talking about. So that long run bubble, it isn't just the long run that gets affected. It's everything that you do before and after that long run. And all those things are in real life going to be mingling together, right? They're going to, one's going to affect the other, it's going to affect the other, and then it's going to affect how you recover from that. Um and so that takes us a lot of the first-time users off of guard when they look at our at those plans. And I get a lot of email from folks that they've done a lot of 20-milers and they're going to keep doing them even in their, during their first round of the Hanses Marathon Method. So uh, personally, I urge you to reconsider that idea. You know, I've had people who told me that they've done the book and then they've done other things a little longer. And that's what the, and this really where this discussion is going is, you know, kind of saying, okay, once you've done the plan, you're used to that kind of volume, that kind of intensity – and you've recovered well, and you're able to handle those things. Now let's now let's explore differences, and we'll get into those. Um, but I can I'd really recon, help you. I would really want you to er, to reconsider the idea of just just because you're 
used to doing 20 milers, but you're used to running a much less intensive program to not necessarily say, well, I'm going to keep the 20 milers because of all the other things that you're doing in the plan. If you haven't done a plan that does what Hanson's Marathon Method does during the week, I'd really think about keeping those long runs pretty basic. You are already going to be pushing up against that fine line of training hard and overtraining. And if you go over that line of over into overtraining because you've decided to extend the long run in some fashion, when I'm asking you to pull it back to follow more what the, the schedule is asking, then that's no offense, but that's really kind of on you, right? Like you've decided that you are going to keep pushing on away. And, and I would say that most people come to Hans's Marathon Method because they're looking for something different, right? They've done the same thing over and over and over again, and they haven't really broken through those plateaus. So the whole reason you're coming to the program is because you're looking for a change, but then you try to incorporate something that you've already done that you know hasn't worked in the past, right? So I urge you, I really urge you to just kind of reconsider that and stick to the plan your first time around. Um, now, saying that, there's a lot of different ways to adjust your long run depending on what your ability and what your goal is. But again, I'd say if you're first, if this is your first time using Hanson's Marathon Method, then stick with that and then and then expand your horizons off, off from that. So this might even be more towards somebody who's um, gone through the plan a few times and now we're looking away to spice things up a little bit because they've you know this is like their third or fourth time on the plan. All right, so what are the what are the main long run types, right? Uh, they are going to be um, the first one is really the long slow distance. And this is the one probably most everybody is used to, right? The LSD run, the long slow distance. Um, this is your traditional easy long run. The most basic development we're trying to build with this is our basic endurance. For a lot of people, it's simply about being able to know what they can cover the distance, that they can cover the distance, correct? Like they just want to know that they can get through 26 miles. And that's why they really say, well, I have to run 20 because mentally I can, if I can get to 20, I can get to 26. But in reality, most of you who've run a marathon realize the marathon doesn't even start at 20 till 20 after 20 miles, right? So that's when it's 20 miles is really like kind of the, the psychological halfway point. So get just getting to 20 really doesn't do much for you uh, from that aspect, in my, in my opinion. Um, with this run, we are building the foundation of endurance performance through the same adaptations that we'd build with an easy run plus a little bit extra, but we're basically we're preparing our muscles, our tendons, our bones to be able to handle the demands of running that far. And we're building the basic, you know, metabolic adaptations to to running, right? We're building cardiovascular fitness, the metabolic metabolic we're gonna try to we're gonna be able to burn fat better and save carbohydrates better through mitochondrial development and all those all of those good things we've talked about in the past. Um, but it's, it's, so it's essentially a, a long extension of an easy run. So who is it for? You know, to me, this is the foundation of long runs and it's for all levels of runners. At any point of a schedule, a person could be doing uh, a long, slow distance uh, long run. From introductions to long runs to the elite, the nice, easy long run should be a staple. This is not something you should always, you should just shy away from after you get to a certain point in your, in your uh, training. From this run, everything else builds. For instance, it's an easy transition from this type of long run to say a fasted or a fueled long run. Um, as we, and and I, honestly, they a lot of times will overlap. Like you'll do a LSD run with a fast or 
LSD with a fueled or, you know, LSD progressing into a more moderate pace along all those things. So it's really, but it's really where everything starts. Um, an LSD type of long run might easily be pushed aside, but I encourage you to come back to it every now and then, especially if you're not feeling the most spunky or you're pretty, if you're into a really long training cycle, a long, easy, uh, long, slow distance run can really um, help bring you back from the brink. Um, it is the perfect way to get something in above and beyond what a regular easy day, but still allow yourself to be able to recover from a previously hard week or to be ready to rock an upcoming hard week. So the timing of LSD runs for the beginner, this type of run might be all that you focus on. There might be a lot of trial and error with these two, which, is, which I'm completely fine with. Um, there's a lot of temptation to start out a little quick, only to find yourself fading the last several miles. Initially, I think that's fine, right? I think as long as you're learning from those experiences and adjusting, that's fine. Um, because it can teach some val valuable lessons in patience, dealing with discomfort, and encourage you to develop pacing strategy. Um, as you become more fit and endurance improves, focus on running these in even or a negative split. Try not to get in the habit of going out even harder and fading even harder. That's the that's because you tend to you tend to race how you train, and if you're training all the time to go out hard and fade, that's probably what you're going to do in the race. Uh, for everyone else, the LSD run is is probably what you'll start off with if you are um, starting off of downtime or a shorter race segment where the long runs were shorter and not a priority. Then this is the initial long run that I would start using. As I mentioned, it is also the long run to come back to every few weeks. If you have a down week, this is a great way to get a long run in, but keep the stress of it down and allow the body to recover. And that's where I think some people get <clears throat> misguided as they get further and further into a segment. They feel like everything's got to be faster and faster and faster. Um, so that's it for the, the long, slow distance run. And that's really the staple of where everything's coming in from. So then you can graduate up to the moderate steady long run. And this is the next next logical step in progression. And you might even drift into these type of long runs without even trying. Ideally, it's picking up your pace as the run progresses. But I see a lot of runners start out moderate, fade uh, to the slower end of their pace range. So they get to the uh, moderate end of their pace range and uh, fade to a slower end of their pace range. So if you have read our books on or use our training pace calculators, you'll see it easy, sometimes A and B, moderate, and then a long run pace. Many times people view those as hard, hard line zones. Like that's where they have to be. They have to be right there. They have to stay in that for the entire run. And the truth is it's a spectrum, right? It's for beginners. They may start out at the slower end of easy pace range and put their focus on just being able to cover the distance. And that's perfect. That's all we're looking for with those people. We're just learning to cover the distance, covering up as much ground as we can. As they improve and covering the distance is no longer the issue, we can then pursue running these faster. As more experienced runner, they may start out in the easy range of the zone, but as they warm up and get into the long run, they gradually pick it up the pace, and then they'll go into the moderate zone, and then eventually the long run zone, which is a little bit kind of the way I had it before it was kind of encompassed with the the moderate zone but now it's really kind of its own feature because I don't think you should go into that unless you're in a long run and you're training specifically for um, to be in that zone so that's why I've kind of separated them um, by ne by definition it's still a pretty comfortable run from a breathing standpoint and there aren't necessarily testing any of our thresholds, lactate thresholds, anaerobic thresholds, but we may have shifted away from what would naturally be considered as 
an LSD type of run. Um, so who is it for and when should you do it? Uh, this might be the goal of the newer marathoner or the newer runner. They might just want to be able to progress from just being able to cover distance into getting into not only covering the distance, but then running them a little bit faster into the moderate moderate range of their, their easy paces. They may want to shift away from general building, general endurance building to specific endurance building by the end of their training segment. And for more experienced runners, it might be where they start out at in the beginning of trainer and then consider it a maintenance type of long run. Uh, the beginner might have this as their quote unquote big test a few weeks out from the race um, where they can cover, say they want to cover 16 miles, all of it in their moderate range. That might be a great big test for them. And the veteran might use this as a long run to begin their taper. So they've done a bunch of harder long runs. And then as they get into that two, three weeks out, then they do their last long run. This might just be, you know, kind of a step into that taper by still doing a long run, but backing the pace down into something that's more easy to moderate, steady type of long run. So then from there, we can go into fasted and depleted long runs. So I want to talk about this next because it's really the next logical step in long runs, uh, whether or not you're fueling before and during these, these runs. And this is really a hang-up point for a lot of people I've noticed over the years. Um, they are also the simplest factors to manipulate during a long run. Uh, the fasted long run has really caught a, a lot of buzz over the last few years, but I think it is a little bit misconstrued. So let's discuss what it actually is. You know, in the fast long, fasted long run is just as it sounds. It's a long run where we run fasted. So if you're running this in the morning, it means you slept all night without any food, got up, didn't have any food, and then you went for a long run. Um, however, to me, and these are also, so fasted, fasted long runs and depleted long runs kind of are lumped together, but I see fasted long runs as what I just described, and I see depleted long runs as potentially having food before the long run and then depleting your fuel stores throughout the run. So you might have had something before, but then you don't take any type of calories in during the actual long run. To me, that's a depletion run. Like you're, you're depleting, your stores, are, your stores are full and then you're depleting them because of the run. Where fasted to me is you've, you're starting at really low levels, they're not anywhere near being full levels, and then you're depleting those even further and going digging really deep into the well um, throughout the long run. Uh, so, it, so despite that difference, I found it hard to find any research on those differences, although I think it's pretty significant. And so for the sake of ease, we're going to just use depletion and facet as the same. Glycogen stores are and or continue to be depleted through the run. And the reason people are doing facet, run, facet runs is to try to get the body to become quote unquote fat adapted. And by that, I simply mean that you have two primary sources of fuel. The combination of fat and carbohydrates represents about 95% of our fuel sources for exercise. The problem is that we have limited stores of carbohydrate. And we burn through these stores relatively quickly. And under the idea of the fasted long run, we, if we have low stores of carbohydrate to begin with, let the body use the majority of the rest, we can then trigger certain adaptations to help avoid the problem in the future. One adaptation is that we will trigger the muscle to store more glycogen and try to avoid that situation again. The second is that we train the body to utilize more fat across the pace spectrum. So basically, you store more carbohydrates so you can have more in the system. But then the second part of that is instead of burning, say, say at marathon pace you burn 50% carbohydrates, 50% fat, maybe that shifts up to 60% fat, 40% carbohydrate. So now you're stored more carbohydrate 
and you're using less to run the same pace. So in theory, you are carbohydrate sparing. So maybe before you could get to 20 miles without really bonking. And so by making these adaptations, these two different adaptations, now maybe you get that to 21, 22, 23 miles. So I think a lot of times people think that's going to take them the entire marathon. That's not the case. You're still going to have to supplement with calories throughout the race through with carbohydrate. But it, if it gets you a couple more miles off of what you already have inside of your body, that's a huge benefit because um, it's going to allow you to run faster um, with less energy use as far as from a carbohydrate standpoint. And it's going to allow you to run, take you further before you actually hit a wall. So maybe if you hit a wall at 22 instead of 20, 20 you, that might be like four or five minutes you save, right? So it might seem trivial, but it, and it, and it is, I guess, from an outside look, you know, outside looking in standpoint, if you're a normal person looking in, like, why would I, why would I want to do that? And for that little bit of a, of an adaptation, but the truth is from a performance standpoint, it's, it's very significant. All right. So should you try fasted runs? And I did a quick Google search to, and there's a, there's a ton of articles regarding the fast run. There's, there's lots of talk about potential benefits, timing of these runs, but I, but I think you really have to be careful with these. Uh, for one, a depletion of fuel sources won't do anything if you don't replace that fuel as fast as you can after the run. In other words, you have to recover really well from these runs in order to reap the benefits. Because remember, like I said, if you get depleted, your body triggers, your, your brain triggers the body to store more carbohydrates. But if you don't have any carbohydrates that are ready to be stored, there's nothing to do, right? So then it's all for naught. Um, so you have to make sure that if you're doing this, you're getting the carbohydrates in right away. And so I get so much pushback on carbohydrates with, with training, um, and people don't want to, they don't think they need as much as I think they do. And they don't think that the amounts that I suggest is, is, is really what they need. And the truth is it is. And, and part of this is because of the long run, especially like a long run or even any type of workout that's going to deplete your carbohydrate source. If you don't have anything to replace it with, don't expect those adaptations to occur. And so I can't stress that enough. If you do this, you have to get the carbohydrates in right after. So like within 15 minutes, you should be taking carbohydrates. You should be trying to get a meal in within an hour and you should be getting more carbohydrates in within two hours. So you really have to pay attention. Like this, this run is all about, all about details. Um, this, the other part I want to say was an, another risk you run is a compromised immune system. So you, there's, I've seen research where the, the risk of, of sickness, illness, injury really increases with these types of runs. And if you do that run and don't do the recovery part that I talked about, then you're really going to compromise your immune system. So to do this and not recover really well from it is just asking for trouble. And I think you have to be really, really careful on that. And so for the beginner, I am hesitant to prescribe these types of long runs for a few reasons. The first is that their first marathon, if this is their first marathon or they are used to pretty low weekly volume and low intensity, then they are already going to be making really great strides with adaptations we talked about just through their increased training. There is no, there is no need to add another source of stress to the body and risk running well past the point of hard training and into overtraining. The second is that worried about eking out a couple more percentage points in potential performance. The risk just isn't worth the reward to me for the, with the newer runner. Furthermore, the beginner runner needs to practice with fueling, dealing with contents in their stomach and having the fuel to cover the distance. So for me, practicing fueling is far more important than running a long run fasted for the, for the beginner runner. 
To the more advanced runner, they may utilize this run, but I think the timing has to be right. Some people like to do these later in a training cycle, but I tend to disagree. I actually think that these make more sense in the earlier part of the segment, and I will discuss the other types of faster long runs in another post like I talked about, but the basic premise of any training is to be doing the most specific work during the last stage of the training cycle. So for us, that's like the last six to eight weeks of all marathon-specific stuff. To me, that means we transition from general training to specific training. In this specific case, it means from doing long runs at a slower pace that would occur with fasted runs or, or I'm sorry, to being fueled and covering the long runs faster, even down to marathon pace or for significant portions of time. When we do the early long runs in a fasted state, I feel you set, the, I feel you set yourself up better because you've now you've created those adaptations that are going to help you for the, the faster long runs later in the training cycle. Um, one, the long runs are shorter. That means you don't, they're long enough to deplete your glycogen stores, but not so much that you really increase the risk of illness. So don't take that as a reason not to fuel up after the run. Remember the fuel afterwards is what makes the body, it allows the body to adapt. If you want to try these, I say early on is okay. Anything in the last six to eight weeks of a marathon cycle should be fueled and performance-based. And again, we'll discuss those in another topic. Whoo, okay. One final point I wanted to make about these types of runs is the idea of doing these types of runs without even trying. What I mean is that how many of you go to sleep, wake up, head out the door, and get your run in without having food? A lot of us do. And I'm talking about easy runs. I'm talking about runs throughout the week, all that good stuff. Say the last thing you ate was at 9 p.m. and then you got up at 6 a.m. to go run. I know that a lot of you are laughing and wishing that you could sleep until 6 a.m. I know in my house we, we would laugh at that. Uh, but that would be at least nine hours without eating. And then you go for a 60-minute run. So we're talking about just an easy day here. That's a minimum of 10 hours before you get anything to eat. And for some of you, that might be over 12 hours. So the point is that you're already depleted and then deplete even further during just a regular easy run. And while that might not be the extreme that a long run would be, it's still enough to trigger and stimulate the training adaptations. It might not be at the dose the long run would be, but if you're doing that three to five times per week during the weekdays when you're working, the overall stimulus is pretty high. So it's a little bit every day. So consider that as you look into mapping out how you want your long runs to look. Even the beginner runner will probably be providing a stimulus, the same stimulus that an advanced runner is, even though they aren't purposely running long runs in a fasted state. So that's why you have to look at everything. Again, we go back to the bubbles, right? So you can't look at just the long run in a bubble. You have to look at everything that's going on throughout the week and then what happened before, what's what's happening right now, and what's going to happen in the future. And that's with training, that's with life, that's with, with everything. Okay, so we'll move past the fasted long run and now we'll go into the opposite of that, the, the fueled long run. And I feel like this really deserves its own section because it's often overlooked. A fueled long run is simply that, root, running a long run fueled. To me, that also includes practicing the fueling during the long run. I think that all levels of these uh, I think that all levels need these in their schedule, even if it is simply to become accustomed to taking in fuel during your runs, which will play huge dividends on race day. I don't know how many emails I get or topic discussions about people who say, I can't handle this, I can't handle that. So they just stop trying, right? They don't try anything new. They just stop taking in gels. They stop taking in calories. They don't look for anything else. They just say, that's it. And so the gut is very trainable, right? And I think there's a lot of things going on in the gut. I think you could look at microbiome. I think you could look at just the makeup of the, the sports drink or the gel or whatever you're taking. I think, you know, you, you can look at the different sources of the carbohydrate, the long chain, short chain, 
all those types of things, the different receptors. But the point is, all of those things are trainable and they're, 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 uh, they're changeable, right? So you can find something that can fit what you need and then you have to practice that. And then I think a lot of times people confuse like the, the, the GI distress with just being full. They're not used to being full. It's fairly uncomfortable. But the thing is, the more you practice with that, the more you can the more you can adapt. I've read studies that within 28 days of routine practice of that, the stomach can tolerate more contents. It can tolerate higher sugar contents. And not necessarily that that's what you want, but you've adapted to be able to handle giving yourself the calories that you're so desperately going to need from a performance standpoint. Um, so I just talked about that. It's been shown the stomach can adapt to handling if it's consistently exposed to doing it during exercise. With that, if you are a beginner or haven't really practiced with fueling, then I, remember, I recommend starting at the beginning of your training segment and staying consistent with practicing. If you're doing some of the more intense long runs we'll be discussing, then fueling before, during, and during will be crucial to the success of these long runs. There's a couple of other benefits of these long runs I'd like to mention. The first is that I am a big, big believer in replacing what you've lost during training. In this case, it's glycogen, and that's what we were worried about. By fueling a little bit before and during the long run, you limit the amount of carbohydrate that you have to make up for during the rest of the day. This can go a long way in giving your body the right amount of fuel that is needed for optimal recovery. When I recommend carbohydrate requirements for workout days, people often balk at the idea of eating that much. If you want to make a dent in that number before and during the long run, you take away a pretty much, pretty decent amount of from what I've originally asked you to get in throughout the day, and that makes the number seem a lot more manageable. So, for instance, if I tell a person they need 500 grams of carbohydrate uh, on, a, on a long run day, they often say that that's too much, that they're not going to eat that much. However, if they took in 50 grams before, then another 50 to 100 grams during the long run, and I'd say that's at least what you would maybe take in, um, then that's 100 to 150 grams off from a total of a 500 gram day. That makes a big difference. Then if you get them to be on point with recovery, they will actually take in over half of the total of 250 grams within an hour to making it a completion of a long run. So that, so that 500 now becomes only 250 throughout the rest of the day because you've already probably taken in 250 before, during, and right after the long run. And that makes a huge, huge difference. Um, goes a long way in making sure that you're getting what you need to replace. And, and honestly, guys, the biggest thing is what holds a lot of you back is you'll have one great run, but then you don't really recover from it well, and then you're kind of okay, but kind of okay, kind of okay, and then after like a week or so, you back up, you finally got your stores back up, and uh, you have another good day, but then you don't replace it, and it takes a long time to get those back. And I think that's a lot of your... I think that's a lot of the people who I've seen come to me with problems. I think that's a lot of their issues. They just don't take in enough calories on workout days to, to really start that recovery process. The faster you start that recovery process, the sooner you can do things. So instead of spacing things out three or four days to do your next workout, you can, you can scale that back, right? Because so, now you may, it's, maybe take half the time to recover from something because you've given your body the fuel it needs to build muscle, to replace glycogen stores, to to rebuild blood levels, to do all those things, you know, you know that's a, that's what people have to really consider. I think because when I look at like in our Facebook group and people I coach and people in the Run Club, and I look at what they do, they're training really hard, but when they but I think sometimes they don't give themselves the fuel they need to recover from that and allow themselves 
to train hard and feel halfway decent, right? Like I think a lot of it, you could feel a little bit better if you're giving yourself the fuel. So I know that's a little, I drifted a little bit there, um, but that's the first part of the long runs. And then we'll get into things like fast finish long runs, Squires types long runs, um, long run tempos, all those things. We'll talk about those, uh, the mega long run. Um, I'll talk about those in the next post. So I, I, I wanted to lay the foundation here because that's where I think the vast majority of people are, right? And then the more performance-based you are, then you shift into um, more of the, the faster type of long runs and, the, and a little bit different makeups of the long runs. And, uh, you know, just based on what we give to people, um, that seems to be be where they're at. So, um, so we'll talk about that next time. Thank you so much. Uh, if you've if you've got the book, you have the main discussion in there. We go into the why the, the percentages and all that good stuff. Um, so if you don't have the book um, and you love the podcast, you like the podcast, um, do me a favor and, and buy the book. Get your friends to buy the books. Hanson's Marathon Method, Hanson's Half Marathon Method, Hanson's First Marathon Method. Any one of them will be good. Um, but I appreciate that allows me to do the podcast. Uh, if you want to schedule, we have we honestly have hundreds of schedules, uh, and uh, it's just go to uh, if you just go to finalsurge.com and you go to training plans. We're the very first person there. It's Luke Humphrey running. You see our little H wing, and you can go 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon, uh, ultra plans, beginning running plans and dozens of plans, especially in the half marathon and marathon, based on how many weeks you need, how many mileage, how much kind of mileage you want to run. I know a lot of people get intimidated with the, with us with the six days of running. I have some five day week plans in there. Um, so check them out. Uh, very, very um, good way to get a really quality training plan. You actually get email access to me with those as well. Um, and so you can take advantage of that, Alex, or, your plan, your questions on the plans and things like that. So um, it's a great way to support us. And uh, if you already do those things, thank you very much. We appreciate it. And uh, uh, like I said, we'll talk about the second part of the long runs next time. And uh, have a great week. Talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye.